Hello again, and a warm welcome to this special series of the Hive podcast, featuring the interviews from my new book, Business Unusual, Values, Uncertainty, and the Psychology of Brand Resilience. Join me, Natalie Nahai, and some very special guests as we explore the ideas transforming the world of business, brands, and beyond. For more information and resources on today's episode, please visit natalinahai.com forward slash the Hive podcast. And for more information around the book, please visit businessunusualthebook.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I speak with Rita Clifton, CBE, a global brand expert and former chair of Interbrand, described by the Financial Times as a brand guru and by Campaign Magazine as the doyenne of branding. Alongside her board chairing and non-executive roles, Rita is a writer, keynote speaker, conference chair and practitioner on all aspects of brands, branding and business leadership. A regular columnist and media commentator, Rita is the author of several books, including the best-selling title, The Future of Brands, two editions of The Economist book, Brands and Branding, and her new book, Love Your Imposter, which explores new types of business leadership and how we might take our imposter self and use it as a driver to come out stronger. Having worked as the Vice Chair and Strategy Director at Saatchi & Saatchi, the London CEO and Chair of Interbrand, and as co-founder of Brandcap, in 2014, Rita received a CBE in the Queen's New Year Honours List and is now a Portfolio Chair and Non-Executive Director on the Board of Businesses, including John Lewis Partnership, Nationwide Building Society and Essential PLC. Previous boards have included ASOS, Dixon's Retail, EMAP, Bupa and Populous Group. Her non-profit boards have included Worldwide Fund for Nature, WWF, the UK Sustainable Development Commission and Green Alliance, and she was recently appointed chair at Forum for the Future, the leading international sustainability organisation. Rita, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today. Well, it's very good to be here and thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So we're living through a very interesting point in history right now and I'd like to present you with a question that I invite all of my guests to answer and that's what do you think is happening in the global human psyche right now? Gosh, that's such a, a big question and it's of course so difficult uh, to generalise. Mm. I, I think and I hope what I'm seeing is... Uh, an effect of the pandemic, I mean, if we can see some positive uh, coming from it, I think we're seeing actually a greater human connection. And what I mean by that is even though we are seeing the rise of populism in some places and anger and torment, I also think alongside that we have got a growing recognition that we are genuinely all in this and on this planet together. So alongside all the terrible stuff, I really do feel there not only a greater sense of humanity and you know shared feelings about humanity and frankly the fragility mm. of some aspects of humanity too but also that we have bigger issues. We have big issues that we need to solve. And if we don't solve them together, they aren't going to get solved. Mm. And so 
if we've learned things about, again, each other's humanity, I think we've also learned that things can happen very quickly when we want them to. And so when we come to big issues like climate change uh, or addressing issues like biodiversity, uh, there's been a sea change. There's been a sea change in business and investor sentiment about the importance of sustainability and long-term impact. So, So I think like a lot of people, you know, I feel slightly ambivalent, if I can say, Mm. about where humanity is, the planet is, business and so on is at the moment, which is on the one hand, it's a dark place, a Mm. scary place. But on the other, there's a sense of into the light, you know, into the light, which is enlightenment about us as human beings and us in the context of uh, the planet as a whole. And I think there's some positive stuff to come out of there. And that's frankly the hope I'm holding on to. Mm. There's more of a reckoning of where we are and how we're contributing to the degradation and the damage of our planet. And I wonder if you're seeing a greater appetite among business leaders, and certainly even in industries where we wouldn't expect to see it. So I'm thinking in coal or in energy, to engage in finding solutions to systemic challenges? Is that something that you think people are braving up to? Without a doubt. I mean, when you have people like Larry Fink, who is the global head of BlackRock, you know, a global uh, investment management firm, talking about how they are investing in and gearing their investments towards longer-term sustainable assets and taking money from non-sustainable assets as they see it because they are more risky assets Mm. uh, to be involved with and also the feeling that actually that's not the right thing for the future. When you see that kind of sentiment and also when you see some radical statements of intent by organisations like BP, when you look at programmes like Oxford Said Business School doing studies on you know, enacting purpose for businesses of all kinds. And the people that you see around the table in those conversations aren't the usual suspects. They are people from banking, they're people from the insurance community, they're people from uh, government offices, and yes, consumer companies as well. There's a very different set of people now around the table talking about these things. And real money real money being transferred from more unsustainable assets to you know more sustainable assets and also much more talk about long-term mm. long-term impact and long-term value and also the fact that every business is not just going to be a slave to one-dimensional types of shareholders businesses will be responsible to the full range of stakeholders, including employees, including communities Mm. at large. So again, I do think we can take some hope. Now, the question, of course, is about the scale and the speed at which we can Mm. all act. But without a doubt, I'm experiencing and seeing and contributing to conversations now around boardroom tables that 10 years ago, if you raise them, in the nicest possible way, people would look at you as though you're a hippie communist, you know? (laughs) And I have been involved in the environmental and sustainability movement since 
I'd like to say I was seven. You know, I had a crush on Sir David Attenborough from the age of seven. (laughs) And I've always been involved in some way, shape or form with environmental organisations since then. I've always had one foot, if you like, in the sustainability camp. And what's really good and positive now is that that uh, sustainability leg is actually joined to the other leg that I've had in the commercial in the commercial world, if you like. And finding those two, those two things coming together and for sustainability and indeed regeneration being much more core and central to the strategy of all of these organisations, that is a fantastic thing to witness and to experience. And it feels real. One can be cynical about these things, but the direction is real because the evidence is real. You know, I feel as though we've had a big awakening on so many fronts and we are definitely moving forward, even though, of course, there are still some uh, difficult and dark patches uh, all over our planet. Mm. I like the image that you paint of the commercial leg and the sustainability leg now standing (laughs) conjoined. Um, (laughs) And actually, because very recently in, in November in 2020, you were appointed chair of the Board of Trustees for Forum for the Future, Mm. which if you're listening and you're not familiar with it, it's a leading international sustainability nonprofit that's been working in partnership with business, governments and civil society to accelerate exactly the shift that we're talking about towards a more sustainable future. And they've been doing this for, I think it's over 24 years. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Well, first, congratulations. That's very exciting for them (laughs) and for you. (laughs) And then um, secondly, given your experience that you've just outlined as well, but in the private sector and the public and non-profit sectors, alongside your personal passion for sustainability, what change are you most excited about in the realm of business and sustainability? I think that um, one of the things I'm excited about, and I know this sounds a little bit strange, but ESG reporting, you know, environmental and social and governments reporting. Now, I know that sounds like a slightly dry subject, (laughs) but whereas, you know, over, I guess, the last five, ten years, we have seen increasingly the right words been spoken about purpose uh, and about long term uh, and about regard to all stakeholders, not just shareholders in that very sort of singular sense. However, of course, it's only when the metrics and the governance systems come out the other end and companies and organisations are judged by those that the rubber really does hit the road. I'm not quite sure it's the right analogy when we're talking about <laughs> sustainability, but nevertheless, I hope you you understand my meaning here, which is, again, after all those great words, we've seen a wave of business proof, in inverted commas, that actually being a sustainable business means a good business. It means long-term valuable businesses. If you look at uh, those organisations that seem to have a strong meaning, a strong purpose, they seem to be outperforming the average Mm. of all others. If you look look at an organisation like Unilever, their purpose-led brands have been outperforming all of their other brands in that stable. And so therefore, you have seen the business evidence. And frankly, you've also seen the business risk. Mm. And that has been a great spur to organisations, particularly in areas like fossil fuels, etc., where for shareholders to take money out of those sorts of businesses and invest them in more sustainable businesses. I mean, this was a real 
eye-opener, mm. an eye-opener boot up the proverbial, <laughs> uh, where suddenly legacy-type organisations uh, who have not been acting as fast as they might have done in the energy transition, for example, transition to sustainability, have suddenly, again, got a bit of a, a, bit of a rude shock. So we have seen that happening. You know, businesses that aren't sustainable have got a risk and also, frankly, a talent risk. If you don't look after your, you know, your employees, for example, if you aren't good at you know, looking after the environment and being socially responsible in the main, you will not attract the best type of employees and particularly not very able and talented mm. young people who want to work for an organisation that makes them feel proud mm. and is doing the right thing. So we have seen that evidence of running away from risk and running towards sustainability, both from a financial and also from a talent point of view. And the final part of that process, that stage, is going to be actually when organisations are judged by how they are being run, how they're being governed, and in hard measures. And ESG has been, in my view, a great initiative. And clearly, it's something that needs to be scaled uh, and spread. But when you're chairman or CEO of an organisation, and you are going to have to report on some of these environmental, social and governance you know, type metrics, that really does concentrate the mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that shift from the kind of the virtue signalling, the empty posturing towards things which are quantifiable, measurable, where you can point towards real and tangible progress. That's really quite a remarkable change compared to what we've had for decades previously. I totally agree. And you need to see the evidence. You know, I think I've been through every possible sequence of uh, hope and fear and worry and frustration over the years, on, you know, from greenwashing in the 19, late 1980s, which was very frustrating, uh, to, yes, let's put it in the corporate social responsibility pot, mm. uh, almost a sort of separate from the main strategy. And then some of these issues being drawn into core strategy of an organisation. And now, yeah, absolutely, this has been taken absolutely seriously by the investment community and uh, measured increasingly. And that, I think, just makes a huge difference and gives me hope, real hope. So I'd like to turn the conversation a little bit towards leadership. And you recently published an exciting new book called Love Your Imposter, <laughs> Be Your Best Self, Flaws and All, which explores myths and qualities around leadership and how we can embrace authenticity to drive change. And given all the uncertainty and turbulence we face, what are some of the qualities that you feel we most need to cultivate for people to lead well? Well, the first thing I'd say that, I mean, you know, why did I write this book? And um, I've obviously written books before about brand strategy, you know, business more generally, but this time it was more personal. And it was personal because I feel so strongly that business has to be a whole lot more human if it's to succeed and thrive and do what it can do in the future. Mm. And I know that sounds like an obvious thing to say, but it's one of those things where, you know, even now you can see business leaders who are asked to appear on mainstream media, etc. And they might be fabulously self-deprecating, <laughs> caring people in their personal lives, but you put them in front of a camera and ask them to defend their business and suddenly the corporate face goes on, you know, the corporate stance goes on, the shoulders mm. go up and somehow they turn into sort of corporate press releases. And I, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't think that does 
that doesn't do the image of business, that doesn't do brand business uh, any good. Mm. Um, and I think it's a source of shame and frustration that a lot of politicians believe that uh, they'll get more votes by giving business a good kicking than actually supporting business. And I think in some ways it's sort of been illustrated by the pandemic because so for some ridiculous reason, this split in views of you either care about people's health and lives or you care about the economy. Mm. You just go, the economy is not an inanimate object. You know, this is about people's livelihoods. This is about how people are living living their lives. And this is how you generate the possibility of paying for all the aspects of civil society. You know, these things are not separable. And my worry about the world of business is that if you allow it to be caricatured as, you know, populated by alienation type people who dress differently, speak differently, pay themselves in a way that's out of this world, you are not going to create connections with your broader stakeholders, either with the people who work with you or broader society. And again, that will not be healthy and it won't be supportive of the kind of vibrant and very human economy that I think we need. So I wanted to write the book because I wanted to try and you know, help people be themselves, you know, be as much of themselves as they can, human frailties and all, and encourage people to do that because that's frankly what makes us human and also it helps you to empathise with other people. And I get sick sometimes when people use the language of warfare mm. in business. There used to be a textbook in MBA-type projects called Marketing Warfare and it had a yeah. tank on the cover <laughs> You know, it had ambushing the consumer and guerrilla marketing and things like that. And I just thought, you know, treating people like targets, sort of almost third-party constructs, this is not the way to build long-term trusting relationships. And frankly, that's how you build long-term successful businesses, by building long-term trust and long-term engaging relationships. And that goes for your own staff, who are, of course, building customer and client relationships on your behalf. So they need to feel good about what they're doing, to believe in what they're doing, and then pass that positive uh, vibe and energy onto, onto your clients and customers. So, so I wanted business to be more human, and I want many more types of people to believe that they can run businesses, and frankly, that they should, mm. because we need more decent human beings with all of these you know, human emotions, uh, good and some a bit more frail, in charge of businesses so that we can make sure that we have that very human connection with the range of uh, audiences. So what I wanted to do was to share some of my experience of getting on in, in business from a very early stage and sharing some of the mistakes I've made and some of the things I've found and some of the, some of the things I've actually found to be quite useful and I hope to have written a very honest book. Mm. And it's called Love Your Imposter because about 70% of people say they experience imposter syndrome. It's so common, it ceases mm. to feel like a syndrome but starts to just be more like the human condition. <laughs> you know, we all have these feelings about, oh my goodness, can I do it? And am I good enough? And I do I deserve to be? These are the things that make us human. And that means you can actually learn skills and develop yourself and how you communicate, what you know, how you behave. And you can make the best of yourself to end up at the top of organisations because if you, as a decent human being, can end up at the top of an organisation, you can run it and create a culture that you believe in. 
That's the goal. That's the gift. That's, I guess, the, the end prize is being able to make things work in the way that you believe in, not be subject to other people's prejudices or particular leadership challenges. I mean, I just, as a leader, I think you need to want to see other people be brilliant. And if that's how you feel, you need to get yourself into that position to really, really make a difference. Hmm. You point towards so many vibrant themes there. And I think one aspect that really resonates with me is, well, obviously, that there's the imposter side of am I good enough? Can I do this? But I think the other aspect, which is opening oneself up a bit more, bringing more of oneself to work to the relationships that we cultivate. And one of the, the themes that keeps coming up in these conversations is how do we show up in a way that invites other people to bring more of themselves, whether that's through psychological safety or through the values that we uphold or through supporting other people to overcome barriers that are maybe systemic that have kept people that are brilliant and competent unable to reach the same levels of success as those who are in more privileged positions. And it's really that kind of focus on how we can be our most possible. Do you think that there has been a shift in what we value? And if so, why do you think we're starting to see it now? I definitely think there has been a significant shift. And actually, ironically, again, thinking about the last year, the last Zoom year, <laughs> um, I mean, goodness me, 18 months ago, I don't, I'm not sure if I'd actually Zoomed mm, at mm. all. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> uh, the explosion, the absolute explosion of uh, the take-up of Zoom. And why it was Zoom that did it rather than, you know, the some more established players, that's an interesting yeah. thing, isn't it? Right, but I think what's happened is that we have seen people in their home environment, we've seen unruly pets and children <laughs> rushing in and out, we've seen technical breakdowns, that kind of stuff, and we've seen people in elasticated trousers, by the way. <laughs> uh, I think in some strange way, this is actually, oh, this is potentially enriching our relationships with others, mm. as in we're not sort mm. of putting our corporate face on and going into meetings, that, you know, meeting rooms that don't look anything like we would have in sort of in normal life. So I think in some ways, actually, the last year, I hope in the end will have helped with some of that. So I think that um, I think that certainly uh, made a big difference. You also have a rich background in advertising and branding. You have such a storied professional career. And I'm curious to ask if you're seeing a shift in what the most successful elements are for building a successful brand in a digital age as we face the climate crisis? Are there certain qualities or characteristics that a brand has to be able to embody to have success? Uh, yes, yes and yes, I think, actually. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what, uh, I'd also add another yes, which is you know, some of the thinking that you would apply to a successful brand at whatever stage and whatever size, etc., you can actually use some of that thinking on yourself. Hmm. And I don't mean in terms of, you know, the personal brand thing as in the Kardashianization <laughs> of society. And I do worry sometimes that people get the wrong end of the stick when I talk about personal branding. I'll come back to that in just a moment. What I am suggesting is that some of the thinking that you would use in the business world around building successful brands, purpose-driven brands, by the way, you know, like Patagonia, mm. you know, they share some of the characteristics I'm now going to talk about. And these apply in a digital world as well as an analog world. And they are 
pretty timeless. And those are three characteristics. Number one is being clear about what you stand for, being clear about your purpose, being clear about your role uh, in society and how that makes you stand out uh, from others, either in your category or indeed in the relationships that you can play with your customers. So clarity. Secondly is about coherence, which is it's all very well to be clear that you know you want to be the best customer service organisation in the world, whatever it might be. But in terms of coherence, what it means is you need to make your clarity of thinking show up through everything you do. So don't pretend that you're a smiley customer service organisation on the outside if you're an axe murdering culture on the inside. You know, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't yeah. work. And people will find out with a scale and a speed that will take your breath away. Mm. If you look at websites like Glassdoor, you can't hide who you are anymore mm. as an organisation because it does get to the outside. So I think in some ways, the great thing about the digital world is everything is visible, so everything counts. And that means you've got to be as good on the inside as you are on the outside. And you can also succeed even as a much smaller business. If you are great, your customers love you, your own staff love you, and they're prepared to tell other people that is incredibly powerful. And that's also, frankly, cheap Mm. and effective marketing. So coherence, how do you behave? How do you create a service that's consistent with what you're saying about yourself? Don't say you're a great customer service organisation if you don't answer people you know, straight away with queries or otherwise that you get back to people to respond or to replace things or whatever, you've got to make sure you are coherent in how you are behaving that reflects what you stand for, the clarity of what you stand for. And the final characteristic, the third one, is about leadership. Now, that does mean whoever runs the organisation or is it the top or senior in an organisation, they need to epitomise the best values of that brand. Mm. So, you know, whether it's integrity or trustworthy or playful, you know, whatever, you've got to make sure you've got a leader or leaders who in some way symbolise that brand, because otherwise it's not going to work. And there are lots of stories about chief executives of organisations where you think it's a groovy or a a dynamic organisation and the person at the top looks like a a middle-aged accountant. (laughs) And and you've got to make sure that these things, again, hang together and are are coherent. So that's Mm. leadership. But it's also a general characteristic, which is about a leadership tendency to be restless, to innovate, to keep on developing and to make sure you are setting the agenda. So those three characteristics, clarity, coherence and and leadership are really important in building a brand at any stage, online or offline. Mm -hmm. If you apply those similar characteristics to you yourself, you think about, well, actually, yeah, clarity about what you stand for. What are your values? What are your strengths? It's really good to understand that because fundamentally, if you don't understand yourself and what it is that drives you, whether it's imposter syndrome or insecurities or wanting to save the world, but if you're not clear about what it is that drives you, sometimes those drives might be expressed in unhealthy ways in the workplace or with friends or business associates or whatever. So it's really good to understand yourself, that clarity. What is it you stand for? What is it that you're good at? And also, what are your goals? They could be short-term goals, medium-term goals, long-term you want to save the world? I don't know. I mean, frankly, my short-term goals when my children were small and I was working full-time was I wanted to stay awake for long enough. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think in meetings, that was my short-term goal. But anyway, be clear about what you stand for. And then, of course, be coherent about how that shows up. Don't say you want to you know, run a company if you don't understand finance. Mm. You've got to understand the numbers, even if you want to express your future strategy and your humanity in business terms. The language of the boardroom is finance. And if you don't understand that language, you either won't be there or you won't be able to make the kind of impact that you need when you're there. So coherence and learning how to be a good communicator, that's becoming a fundamental Mm. skill, particularly in the digital world, where if you're not careful, you know, the devil has all the best tunes. (laughs) If you can't learn to communicate and therefore get yourself heard and your points of view heard in comparison with, with people whose values you maybe don't want to get spread, you need to make sure you are making the very most of yourself. And that's also in terms of personal development as well, which leads me on to the leadership thing. You are the leader of your own personal brand. You know, you've got to be nosy and keep on learning about new stuff and keep yourself moving forward and keep yourself in the stretch zone of learning new skills, etc. because that's how you keep on progressing. And I'll make no apology. I'm talking about <laughs> progressing because I want lots more different sorts of people to end up running organisations mm-hmm. and believe that they can, flaws and all. I think it's fundamentally important. Mm. And to that point, when it comes to leadership and being more clear and coherent in our own goals and then transmitting that to those around us, at whatever stage of the hierarchy within an organisation we are, is there a question that you wish people would ask you that they don't often ask that would be helpful for them? I'm not sure if there is a question that people ask. I mean, when people say things to me like, you know, can you talk about the journey to CEO? Um, It's difficult for me to avoid guffawing, you know, that question. (laughs) And the the reason being is that it's almost as though journey to CEO, you know, you sort of... You woke up at the age of seven and decided you wanted to run Goldman Sachs or something and you sort of got hold of your flag and you marched up the mountain to plant your flag up there. And I think my career has come, you know, it's a bit of a shock to me or a surprise to me. It certainly came as a surprise to my director of studies at university. And she actually dropped me a note saying as such, which was really, really funny. Um, But my, you know, my career, my working life has come as a bit of a surprise, just because I hadn't thought that I would go to university, let alone do some of the things that I've done. And, Mm. and, you know, I, I guess... I know that the honours system is is a, a strange old one, but my mother sitting within 10 steps of the Queen when I received <laughs> a, a CBE, I mean, that was an absolutely high point in my life mm. just because of the family and what it meant to them and what it meant to my mother, mm. who's sort of sadly passed away since then. So I think that the thing that has really, really thrilled me personally has been able to make a bit of a difference. When I was chief executive, we had 50-50 men and women on the executive board. We did a lot of interesting personal development programs and personal bursaries. I mean, I was able to create the kind of culture that I'd like to see. And that's why I want to make sure that others who feel strongly about this stuff can put themselves in a position where they can. So all I would say is that the world needs changing Business runs the world, so we need to change business. Mm. So what I'd really like to see is if you are capable of running an organisation, please do that. Please get to the top and do it differently because the resources of business and the scale and the power of business, if we can harness that in the right way, we can accelerate 
so many of the changes that we want to see in society and more broadly across the planet. Because businesses and indeed brands can cross borders and connect with people in a way that governments and global institutions can struggle to do. Mm-hmm. So that's why rather than spend all my career in the nonprofit or charity sector, I've tried to straddle the commercial and the nonprofit because it's all of these channels, it's all of these roots that we can use to really make the kind of difference that we want to we want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. So given the vision that you've created there, this is a related question, but what kind of world do you want to build? Oh, I want to build a world where mankind, person kind, people kind, <laughs> uh, and nature thrive in harmony. That's what I want to see. I know that might sound, you know, as though I should be strumming a guitar and holding <laughs> people's hands, but... That's what I want to see. I mean, I love our planet. Mm. I love the world that we live in and I love the potential of people. So I want a world that's rich in all of that. Mm. So that's about people and the planet thriving together. And I mean thrive. And if you were going to suggest one thing or place that people could do or start from to help us move in that direction, what would that be? Be the best you can be. Make the very best of yourself that you can. And I know that sounds an obvious thing. Although actually sometimes I I laugh, you know, when people people give other people advice saying, you know, be yourself. Well, I think that's that's fine. But I don't know about you, but I'm not sure if I want to let my entire true self hang out (laughs) all the time. Uh, You know, uh, because there are certain things about ourselves that frankly are probably better left at home. (laughs) So that's why I say the best of yourself, you know. So uh, that might well be making the best of your skills and talents, practicing, practicing things that you think actually are going to make a difference in how you can engage and influence other people. And so being your best self, flaws and all, that was actually the subtitle of the book. And that's what I really do feel. I feel we all need to make the most of what it is that we can do while we're on this planet and make the most positive difference that we can. And and I say that in a way, you know, I'm unashamed in my positive hope Hmm. for who we can be and what we can achieve with that kind of mindset and everything I can do between now and when I shuffle off this mortal (laughs) coil to make that happen, I'll give it a go. Thank you for listening to The Hive Podcast with me, Natalie Nahai. To find out more about today's guest and the themes we explored, please visit the show notes page at natalienahai.com forward slash The Hive Podcast If you've enjoyed the series, please do share it with your friends and give it a rating or review. And for more insights and insider tips, you can join my newsletter as well. My thanks to Caro C for producing. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode.